This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way. Except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. Yeah, we can just dive right in. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Great American Scream. My name is Devin Wright. My name is Adam O'Connell, and oh, welcome back. This week, we kind of wanted to... We talked a little bit in the Rocky Horror episode. We briefly mentioned how the idea of horror musicals or horror theater in general is kind of an untapped genre. And while it is true that it is, like, underrepresented... Uh, there are still a lot of great uh, examples of live yeah, horror theater. Most notably, Clue. Is there a cl- the musical? There's a Clue musical. Isn't it? It was it just a play, and they had like five different endings. I, you're thinking? Have of you never heard of this? No, you're thinking of the mystery of Edwin Drood. No, 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 no. no there was a Clue one. No, <laughs> that's but that's what clue. the mystery of Edwin Drood is. No, but no, no, no. I'm not talking about the mystery of Edwin Drood. There's a Clue musical i, I believe you trying to tell me about clue no it was not also I, a movie no. now ezra is chiming in no it was a yes movie, it was a movie too i believe it was you. a musical i believe you productions 1997 okay. off broadway was tim curry in it? by tom chiodo was tim curry no. in it then get it out of here a, a book by peter de pietro and galen <laughs> bloom wayne barker and vinnie martucci did the music <laughs> Well, unfortunately, Clue is not going to be involved in our discussion today, but I'm glad it got the representation it needed right now in our intro. Yeah, you're welcome. So uh, we'll talk about uh, horror theater. And there's not a lot of horror theater, but it's a nice chunk of the American and non-American theater canon. Um, But a lot of them aren't necessarily mainstream or well-known. Uh, and in fact, even a lot of the mainstream ones don't end up being super successful commercially or end up getting remembered. So we'll talk about right. some notable examples and then also just the idea of why horror theater is a genre that is underrepresented, uh, underrepresented. Yeah, because I've always like as a person who makes theater and acts and stuff, I've always been interested in like how to make theater scary like a horror movie which is hard yeah for sure there's not um my high school director used to say she never wanted to do musicals that don't have the audience leaving happy and while i didn't agree with the sentiment it seems that most audiences like agree with her like most people want to come to musicals to like you know kind of hear some bops and then leave yeah here's some bops and then that one song by the old man that only serves to cover up a quick change for the leading lady <laughs> and everybody hates it. But, <laughs> but uh, also, yeah. And like I said, that a lot of uh, from a commercial standpoint, the circle of horror fans and the circle of musical theater fans. And then by extension, the people who can afford to go and see live theater is a pretty small overlap. Because yeah, this... it's actually the, the first two are just you. Yeah, what? it's just me. <laughs> the Venn diagram is just you standing in the middle. Um, And it's, it's notable to mention that a lot of these shows, although not commercially successful, have really, really intense and devoted fan bases. But they either never made it to Broadway or they closed really quickly. 
And this is something I noticed. Yeah. I call it the be more chill paradox, which is oh, where a, a so be more chill. If you are don't know, it was one of the most highly anticipated shows to come to Broadway last season. It has a uh-huh. massive and extremely devoted fan base of teens and young adults. So but it closed on Broadway really quickly. And people, yes. like what happened? Basically, it was bad. <laughs> I liked oh, I, I liked it way more than I thought I was going to. But I digress. Personal opinions aside, <laughs> the people that can afford to regularly see theater in New York City is an old, affluent white crowd. And that was not at all the show's target audience. And it's it's a sci fi right. teen comedy. Um, and so it didn't sell because the people who were fans of it couldn't afford to see it. And the people that could afford to see it didn't resonate with it at all. Right. And that's like, uh, it makes sense that horror and musicals mm-hmm. would would see that that same kind of extremely devoted cult fan base. Because like musicals have a very odd cult following that have like very specific fandoms for very specific shows. And so does horror. And so if you mash those together, you get like, a Beetlejuice stands, which are like the scariest of all musical theater fans. <laughs> yeah, but they're all young people who very often don't live in New York City and therefore, and I'm talking a, a lot about New York, the New York theater scene here, because right. that's where I'm from and what I'm familiar with. If you notice like overseas where theater is more affordable, especially places like Berlin, where stuff is a lot more experimental, you see theater veering on the lot uh, more experimental and sometimes more horror side of things. But in New York City theater, at least the people that can afford to see Broadway shows and the people that can afford to see theater regularly are not going to be the horror fans. No, for sure. <laughs> and the people who are like producing a show like Be More Chill are really only putting it up on Broadway so that they can then put it out to high schools and make money that way. Like yeah. it is. We could do a whole podcast about about this yeah well t- yeah no i know then this is my problem with new york theater and broadway as a whole but like that's right. this is not a theater podcast so we're not going to talk okay. about that um and also so back to that it's just of the content of the show itself it is difficult to scare people watching a live performance as if they're watching a horror movie and by all accounts it's like watching something live should be scarier as the action's happening right in front of you um and right. stuff is super and close to you i think it is but the thing is, it's the same level of scary, like, like all musicals are scary because <laughs> you're seeing the people, you're in the real flesh space with them. It's just horror can't scare you more than that because like, you're like, oh, I'm in the theater. That's already anxiety inducing. <laughs> I, this is really Presented scary. in front of me. Um, and just because somebody goes boo, I'm not going to be like, ah, yeah. And I think because it's happening in front of you, things like audience attention, this is from like a theater maker, director, actor, writer standpoint, yeah. uh, things like audience attention become a lot harder to control and the audience can see things you don't want them to see. And it's also a communal environment when like I've always said, and it's like, People know that when you see a horror movie in a dark, quiet theater versus watching it at home during the day on your couch, it's going to be scarier in the theater. But right in when you're watching a, a play or a musical, especially in a very large house, it's a big communal environment where you're with a, like you as the audience way outnumber everything that's happening on stage. So it is this like safety factor of like, oh, I'm here with a bunch of people. You can always look to your left and your right and go, oh, I'm not actually there. Like, this is fine. I'm safe. It's all good. Right. 
Yeah, and it feels like the wall, in a really weird way, the wall in a place like a big Broadway house between the audience and the stuff going on on stage is actually like thicker than it is at like a movie theater. Mm -hmm. Like when you're in a big Broadway house, you can't always see everything. Everybody's looking at a different place on stage, so you can't always guarantee audience uh, like focus in the right place. But if you were to do like a horror musical in like the NYU Rubin black box, <laughs> that could be super scary. Yeah, exactly. It's, I think it's a lot more effective in very intimate spaces or immersive spaces. Um, like, because yeah. also in a large house, the balcony or whatever the highest, furthest, most seat is can't always see fully what is happening on stage. So stuff like visual scares aren't as effective. Therefore, yeah, if you put Jeff the Killer up <laughs> on stage, people are going to be like, is that it's just a mime? Like a oh, white smudge. And then yeah. because you can't rely on visual scares, you have to use other things. And what a lot of these employ is psychological horror, which is not an Art. easy genre to write. Yeah. Like you can't just go, oh, I'll just make a psychological horror play like that. That's not a there's a reason that all of the good psychological horror movies are like masterpieces and all of the bad yeah. ones are trash fires because yeah. they're either like, amazing or horrendous. Right. And Broadway doesn't incentivize like art, like mental effort on the part of an audience member. They, yeah. they, they like, uh, like artistic, uh, accessibility. Whereas like a thriller requires you to like do work as an audience member. Yeah. And when you start to talk about musical theater specifically, it becomes oh, even yeah. harder because musical theater is inherently camp and even musical theater fans, it's it, like it's not meant to be taken seriously. And especially right. for non-theater fans, as soon as a character starts singing, it's over. It's not serious anymore. Yeah. Like there, there's nothing you can do to to bring it back from that. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad or they don't enjoy it. It just means they don't right. take it like seriously as they would watching like the Shawshank Redemption or something. Yeah. And we know because we talked about Sam Raimi that like camp in a horror space is actually super fun and useful and can do a lot of cool things mm -hmm. but you know we know that because we're on this podcast about <laughs> horror stuff but the the lay person doesn't yeah as as soon as you start singing it almost becomes parody especially if the subject matter you were dealing with was very serious um and it works american in some psycho. music <laughs> we're going to talk about american psycho a little bit later yeah. But so uh, and because the horror genre doesn't sell well in mainstream theater anyway, uh, musicals with a horror theme or horror themes uh, tend to primarily be something else like a romance, a drama or a comedy. Like they can have those yeah. elements, but usually the, the themes and energy are focused on something else. And horror yeah. films often have to do this, too. And most good horror films are both a horror movie and a drama or a and horror movie else. and a comedy. Yeah. But a musical that kind of is exclusively in the horror yeah, genre just tries to scare you. Yeah, it, it's I, I, have a, I have a good example of of that point and your previous point of like you can't the, the audience doesn't take what would be scary on film seriously in a theater context. Groundhog Day, the musical has that song where uh, what's his name? What's Andy Carl. Fit. No, it's not Phil. Is it Phil? Phil. Yeah. He dies a bunch of different ways. Mm -hmm. It's the first song in the second. That half, song is scary. Like, that song is is pretty dang scary. Like he he throws a toaster into the bathtub with himself and like it's supposed to be like eerily funny. Yeah, it's like black it's comedy. It's supposed to be funny. Like it's still supposed to be black comedy. Right. 
which is like even a scary scene like that doesn't read as scary when it's a song like yeah. it's a fun song and we're all singing together tim mentioned I, fun about it tim mentioned i think is a musical theater composer <clears throat> that uses horror elements in his work very well like if you listen to matilda or if you listen to groundhog day yeah. it's there this like darkness um but his right. musicals aren't horror musicals in fact they're often very far removed from being horror but also right. i think a song like that has to do with uh, the employment of stagecraft with horror elements, which we'll talk oh, about in yeah. a little bit. Um, but I want to note the two kind of biggest examples of successful horror musicals or musicals that are primarily considered horror. The first of which being Sweeney Todd, um, yes. which is pretty widely accepted as not only one of the most successful pieces of horror theater ever, but one of the most successful and important musicals just ever. Yeah. Rightfully so. It's excellent. Steve, Stephen Sondheim's a genius and it's a perfect musical and I love it. But so we Sweeney... Stand. Stephen Sondheim and Sweeney Todd are both good guys of this podcast. But you know who is a bad guy related to Sweeney Todd? Who? Um. Oh, wait. Never mind. I was going to say, okay, who plays Sweeney Todd in the movie? Johnny Depp. Oh, I was right. He's no, a we're, We'll talk about... that. We. I think we... Uh, and a few Johnny Depp will make several more appearances on this podcast. Oh, no. He keeps coming up, but Why anyway, does he keep coming up. Well, he's in Nightmare on Elm Street, and he, he's going to be mentioned in a future episode that we talk about. But I digress. I, um, wait, Sweeney, wait. I want to also mention. I want to talk about. I want to say something about Sweeney Todd. It's the only thing I know about Sweeney Todd, and it's the fact that Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart want to put on a production of it, where uh, Hugh Jackman is Sweeney Todd. Uh, Patrick Stewart is Judge Turpin and they want Ian McKellen to be Mrs. Lovett. I'm good with that. I'm yeah. totally good with that. Uh, but so Sweeney Todd as a character, especially as a character in like the horror canon, existed long before this musical was written. He was a popular character in Victorian Penny Dreadfuls. And if you don't know, a Penny Dreadful was like the cheap popular literature at the time and they would release each part in like a weekly issue and then each part would cost a penny so every week right. you get the new penny dreadful you get to see what adventure sweeney todd goes on next um and in pretty much every incarnation he was then put in a lot of stories and plays and all sorts of stuff but in pretty much every incarnation he is a murderous barber that's his yes. stick he slits people's throats with razors and that's what he does best so this particular musical, uh, Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, Stephen Sondheim musical, uh, it premiered on Broadway in 1979 to critical acclaim. It won, I think, eight Tonys, including Best Musical. Um, oh. And Sweeney Todd is outwardly horror themed. Like, right. it's, a, it's a murderous barber who slits people's throats and then a woman who cooks their bodies in a pies and serves them to people. Like, you can't really call it anything. Like, first genre, horror. It is other right. things. Like, it is also right, right. a tragedy, it's a drama, it's a thriller, it's kind of funny. Like, it is a lot of other things, but you kind of have to pin horror as its first genre. Yeah, and I think the only way that you can say that it's not is because of, like, the cultural, like, understanding of Sweeney Todd now, which I think is a bit, like, campy and, oh, he's a whimsical barber. Yeah, I mean, it's also it's since it's a considered a classic musical, it kind of demystifies it in that way. Right. Like if since it's considered a classic, it's not often a, like I, it's weird to say it's not associated with darkness because it is so dark and people obviously know it's dark, but it's right. kind of removes it just a little bit. 
But yeah. So the musical, it's wildly successful and famous a lot just because it's a good musical. Uh, the score is great. The Every production has been great. Um, and Sondheim kind of added a couple of these horror elements. Most notably, my favorite example is the um, the like work whistle and the train whistle that you hear in the score sometimes was put in there to be like a scare chord to make the yeah. audience like jump in their seats a little bit and do that tension. Um, and then also Epiphany, which is one of the songs in the show, I think is the best example of kind of like a horror scene. It's it's very much follows the psychological horror formula of a man devolving into madness a la Evil Dead or The Shining and he even breaks yeah. the fourth wall and breaks that safety barrier uh, between the stage and the audience to talk directly during the audience during that song, offering them shaves and stuff like that. Yeah, the this entire episode is just me remembering scary scenes from musicals because when you're talking about that all i thought of was the the really scary song in mary poppins when all the toys come to life that is a scary one yeah anyway (laughs) Um, so our next musical we're going to talk about is mary poppins (laughs) the other one that i want to mention as and this may be shocking upon hearing but the phantom of the opera that's a horror thing. Yeah, here's the thing: but it's is that not you don't think you do the not horrible think thing of... about it is that Andrew Lloyd Webber is associated with it. Andrew Lloyd Webber, of Andrew Lloyd Webber, villain. Welcome to the stage, another villain of this podcast. Um, so the Phantom of the Opera is not really what we would think of as a horror musical at all, but it's yeah. based on a property that is pretty much strictly considered to be in the horror genre. The Phantom of the Opera is a Universal Studios classic monster. Ah, tie back to the first episode of this podcast. Like straight up. Like that's like, he is a classic monster. And of course, if you compare it to the novel that uh, this musical is based on, it's it's less of this like straight horror monster we think of. But the movie is also based on that book. But I digress. Yeah, Um, I think uh, partly this is partly the reason it's so successful, because it frames itself as a romance or an epic musical with horror slash thriller elements by making yeah. the Phantom like a, a semi-romantic character. And I think also audiences, depending on the audience, characterize the Phantom in different ways. Some see him as a complete and out total monster. Some see him as a tragic romantic figure. A lot of people fall in between. Right. Yeah. Um, but so... It's an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. It premiered in 1986 in London. It is the longest running musical on Broadway as it's been running now for 32 years and continues to pick up steam. It's a really popular tourist musical. Um, It is like the most iconic musical in the world. It's like the first thing that people think of when they think of musical theater. And like it's based on a horror property, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that part's pretty cool. It is like literally it has the aesthetics like we talked about in the comedy episode last episode, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it has the aesthetics of horror. Yes. Like there are definitely horror elements in the the character of Phantom is a pretty scary looking guy. The scene of uh, going through the sewers is like a pretty scary looking scene. Um, the uh, chandelier coming down. Yeah is and that whole scene is done as a horror scene mm-hmm. the chandelier drop yeah it's not there's not a lot of like blood in phantom of the opera and stuff like that but the he does successfully kill two people throughout the course of the show yeah. both pretty gruesome and the scene uh just before like the ending when they're doing the don juan opera and they discover like the tenor's body is pretty gruesome uh yeah 
And as is the hanging of the stage hand character. And it's treated rightfully as that in like the, the story of the show as a yeah. horrifying moment. But the emphasis isn't really placed on that. It's placed on the relationship between Christine and the Phantom and the relationship between Christine and Raul. And that kind of love triangle yeah. is like, I think what people think of first when they think of Phantom rather than the murders, even though they're both equally as, as prevalent. Yeah. And they are, there are are murders. Yes. And the chandelier drop is kind of like probably iconically the scariest moment, depending on the production. Um, I specifically enjoy the productions where in in Broadway right now and most like uh, I think in London too, the chandelier would drop and then swing down like as if to attack, attack. (laughs) Like it's a drone, the audience, the the audience stage members, (laughs) but uh, the, the actors on stage. But in uh, the tour and some other productions, it drops straight down into the orchestra section. Uh, so as uh, if it's coming for the audience instead, which I think is fun. Yeah. And a, a brief note, like I'm not a big fan of Phantom of the Opera. I have a mm-hmm. lot of issues with it generally. But the one thing that I love about it and respect is the production, like yeah. in all productions of it, but especially the big West End uh, Broadway ones, is that the production is so like crisp and clean and grand and amazing and the the ways that horror is incorporated into the show makes and the production makes those horror moments incredible yeah it is the most scared i've ever been in uh in a show is the chandelier drop or the uh the the hanged man Mm -hmm. and they those things almost make it feel like a disney uh disney world ride where like oh my god the killer's in the in the house with it, you oh yeah. so scary uh and like while i don't like the rest of the show they literally have to have fire at the beginning of the second act to wake everybody back up and burn the <laughs> burn the the cobwebs out of their eyes yeah it's a boring show but I, I don't hate phantom incredible. it's uh it's one of the angela weber musicals i like better but i also i just love a good like epic musical yeah um, the, the epicness of it is yeah you can't you can't debate that but so I also want to talk about some sort of things that are considered uh, modern classics or more cult musicals. Um, most notably, Little Shop of Horrors. I mean, yes. it's right there in the title. Uh, it ran off Broadway uh, for five years originally, and but then saw a much greater success, I'd argue, in community and high school theater because it's a cast of like seven people. Yeah. And aside from the puppet, it's pretty easy to put up. Um, you might be more familiar, you, the listener who is maybe yeah, not, not a theater fan, uh, more familiar with the 1986 Frank Oz movie starring Rick Moranis, which is actually how I got oh. into Little Shop. It's a great movie. Yeah. Definitely watch so it. Good. Um, and this kind of falls into the same camp as Rocky Horror does. Ah, it's it's really campy uh, and it's a love letter to 1950s B-movies in the same way. It's like a, it's a giant man-eating plant like that's straight right. horror B-movie. And it plays it a little more straight than Rocky does and is less of a, a parody, but it's still primarily a comedy, even though, again, murder and blo- it is bloody, like depending on the production and the movie, yeah. uh, it can get fairly bloody, but it's still a comedy primarily. Right. It, it's kind of like Sweeney Todd, where like the actual subject of the film is definitely horror, mm-hmm. but the execution changes it to be something else. Yeah. And because it's a camp comedy, most of the stuff in it, including the deaths and the violence, are played for laughs. So I would argue that the true kind of 
horror of Little Shop is not in the scenes of murder and violence, but in the core of the story and how Seymour is con- is convinced to carry them out. He kills yeah. two people throughout the course of the show and then leads to the death of Audrey and his own death after being painted from the beginning as this meek, unassuming, nerdy little plant enthusiast. And so yeah. the, the thesis is that anybody can be convinced to kill with the right motivation. And as yeah. the kind of deaths continue, because the first death is paint for the audience is justified as it's Oren, who is the abuser and right. is generally supposed to be seen as the villain, if not the plant being the villain. So is seen as justified. The second one is Mr. Mushnik, where you're kind of not sure, but like he's kind of yeah. an asshole, but, you know, he, he's threatening Seymour to go to the police in the scene. So it's kind of painted as more justified. But then Audrey dies. Um of no right. fault of her own. And then Seymour dies. Um, and I'd like that kind of horror progression and how it starts with the very typical, like murdering the unlikable character and then concludes with, right. Uh, murdering the hero. Um, and yeah, quote unquote hero. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to especially point out the song supper time, uh, which both in the musical, but I think especially in the movie version, uh, really it does suspense really 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 well with the repetitive song underneath the very quiet scene that's happening as seymour is like trying to decide whether or not he's gonna push mr mushnik into the plants and stuff i think that is probably the closest part of that that you'll get to a horror movie other than the scenes of like people getting eaten you know yeah and uh most productions of little shop also include a little bit of the idea of the fourth wall not protecting you Usually during the show's finale, Don't Feed the Plants, which is a cautionary tale to the audience that uh, don't do right. this. Um, but sometimes some productions will have the Audrey to like leer forward to the front row and like take a chomp yes. at them. Or during the, the last part of the song, like vines will drop from the ceiling to give the audience a scare. And again, I like I like immersive theater. I like stuff that breaks the fourth wall. So oh, I think yeah. that's effective like horror yeah, stage they spray water on you and then little rollers come out of the chairs and poke you <laughs> i like that well which brings me to a more recent example you mentioned beetlejuice earlier and we'll talk a little bit about that now uh yeah. R- r.i.p first of all it's terrible that they didn't yeah. get to close uh properly For because real. of yeah. Broadway shutting down and everything but so beetlejuice as a show also falls into the horror comedy camp while being a kind of a loose adaption of the movie and I know this is a hot take, um, but I mm-hmm. didn't love this adaption of Beetlejuice. I feel like it kind of softened and kind of woobified the characters, especially Beetlejuice. Because Beetlejuice yeah. in the movie, the Michael Keaton role, he's like gross and down and dirty yeah, and, and scary. Yeah. yeah. And like he's kind of cute in the musical and i also love alex brightman so that might be why i saw it as such and i think yeah uh, michael keaton is a much scarier dude than alex brightman yeah there's nothing about alex brightman again lord love him that is that is threatening yeah and i think there are definitely moments in the show where he he achieved that like threatening michael keaton kind of level but just the way the script was written uh, yeah, it, it kind of softened everything a little bit and it felt more like an adaption of the TV show cartoon than the movie. And as a musical by Ooh, itself, yeah. like not as an adaption of the movie. I, I thought it was great. But my yeah. personal opinion, besides the point, um, yeah. uh, the show itself employed really innovative stagecraft techniques with the lighting and the projections, the stage design. There were puppets and all the crazy costumes. 
um, that were really effective to tell the story that they wanted to tell. Um, yeah. A couple, the biggest example, I think, of one of the best uh, moments of stagecraft is at the very end of Act One, uh, when Beetlejuice takes over the Banana Boat song. There's this huge, massive puppet of his head that rises from the orchestra pit to a kind of cover some of the stuff that's happening on stage so they can yeah, push it around. But and then he's got the two big hands that are swinging at the audience and the actors on stage. And there's this demonic laugh happening. There's a lot of really cool puppets in the show. There's the sandworm and stuff. Um, yeah. And it, 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 those, it's a genuinely scary, fun moment. But again, effective to tell the story they wanted to tell. And that story was kind of a zany and cartoonish one. Right. Uh, but these elements themselves, because they're so effective for storytelling, if you employed them to something like a monster musical, they'd be really effective. Yeah. Now, we did yeah, they, see that in King Kong recently. Yes. But from what I've heard, I haven't seen it, but from what I've heard about King Kong, that's the only thing they did well. <laughs> I didn't see yeah, it, though. The, I didn't see it. The, I heard Puppet yeah, was great. I didn't see it either. But he, was got excellent. A, he got his own Tony for it, so that was good. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, I Devin, think those. Oh no, what? go ahead. Okay, please. No, uh, no, no, no. Go. I think those those elements are effective as theater craft, and then effective as like horror elements separately. So when you put them together, they could be executed in a way that does horror really well. It almost reads like something that is scary to a eight year old, and then not scary to an adult. Yeah, like it, and like. But that's most musicals. It I mean, also it makes sense for a show like two. Beetlejuice. If they yeah. actually like kind of just did the Beetlejuice movie, they'd be alienating a lot of the young teenagers that make up for sure. a lot of the show's fan base. So it was absolutely make set made sense for yeah, uh, fan base, but not paying audience. Yeah, exactly. Which leads us to our first yeah. problem. But um, so, Devin, you mentioned American Psycho earlier. Um, uh -huh. And uh, I would like to talk about that now, because I think this is a musical that employs stagecraft for horror extremely well and the fact that it's yeah. another one of those musical where the primary genre if not the entire genre is not only horror but psychological horror yeah i i think the the things that come to mind i think american psycho is bolstered by the fact that the movie is so iconic so That's, just yes. by having by having the like plastic curtain be like one of the first elements you see that's like that's that's like the most iconic scene in the movie. So like automatically you're kind of bought into this like mm. creepy horror and even the like seeing the clean cut main man like in yeah. his suit is like you're, you already know what you're getting into. Right. And I think also Duncan Sheik does his music always has a darkness that is like executed really well. Spring Awakening totally. is like it like a very dark musical. Uh, yeah, and Dark I Know Well is a scary song. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. it is a horror song, which like I, I, I think American Psycho is I think the best we can do right now for a horror musical. Yeah, I'm really partial to American Psycho because I love that it. I saw it's not that scary. <laughs> See, okay. Look. I, I'm really partial to American Psycho because I loved it. I saw it twice, both times I saw it. Um and interestingly, before I saw it for the first time, I hadn't seen the movie. So this was my first kind of foray Ooh. into it. Um, it's, this was one of, this is the time I always cite as being genuinely scared during a live piece of theater as if I were watching a horror movie. And I think that is also because both times I saw it, I was, it was like student rush ticket. So I was like second row from the oh, stage yeah. and everything was really close. But a couple of elements I want to mention as far as stagecraft goes, 
like you said, the uh, the plastic drop curtain, which uh, yeah, they first yeah. use uh, in the very beginning of the show when it drops and they fill it with fog to give like a jump scare moment of a woman like pushing her hand against it. And then you see Bateman's shadow like grab her, which yeah. is really fun. And then really also good. they use it during the the hip to be square scene, which is at the end of act one. Now, funny story, not relating to this, but funny story about this. So I saw this once during previews and then once after it opened. Okay. And I'm going to preface this by saying this may have been a fever dream that I had personally. And this <laughs> yeah. might not be true. So feel free to correct me. But I feel so what happens in the show is that Patrick comes out with the raincoat and the axe and he's like, I'm gonna kill you now. And then right before he starts uh, hashing the plastic drop curtain drops so that way when he hits paul the spurt of blood hits the plastic screen the and curtain. it's yeah yeah and it's a great it's great effect it looks really cool it protects the audience and stuff and it's it's really cool to be able to see kind of the blood splatter especially because paul's back is to the audience so it's not like you're seeing the axe go in his chest now right. i feel like during the first preview they there wasn't that drop curtain during that scene because i have a memory of the blood just Flying into the audience. <laughs> what? I feel Are you this... saying that they threw fake blood into the audience in a Broadway house? I feel like they it's did. It's tough to be a bug. This like, totally it's... could have been a fever dream that I had, but I think this is how it went down. I think... <laughs> I think that's fake. I can't find anything about it online. So if you were also at previews, please tell me if I'm right or not. But uh, also the projections... Uh, for this show were excellent. The show relied a lot on projections oh, yeah. because of this kind of like 80s techno aesthetic it was going for. Um, notably in the ATM scene where he tried the ATM tries to get him to feed him a stray cat. And also the big like abandoned hope all ye who enter here red blood yeah. letters that appear. And then also the um, the scene for the song I am back, which is after he comes back from the Hamptons and he starts killing again. Um, yeah. And uh, it's this beautifully done like experimental dance number where he's like twitching and covered in blood he's just in his underwear but it's covered in blood and he's like twitching and doing these like twitchy ballet moves as corpses appear and like drop on the stage he has a conversation with two women who are like twitching bloody corpses it's mm -hmm. and he makes this pile of bodies with the ensemble at the end of the song it's crazy and i was one of yeah. my favorite scenes of the whole show and but in extension of that this show was insanely experimental and avant-garde and therefore right. didn't resonate with a lot of audiences especially not broadway audiences i feel yeah. like it alienated both broadway audiences and fans of the movie because sorry to come for you american psycho fans but it kind of raises the same when somebody says american psycho is their favorite movie it kind of Ugh. raises the same red flag a as saying like questions. fight club is your favorite movie so yeah, yeah. um uh, very different from if you say fight club is your favorite book like that's yeah. a good sign <laughs> so and I feel bad because it was so avant-garde experimental and kind of queer uh i think it also alienated the fans of the movie yeah, this musical, there's so much about it because like the show as a show, as you said, is super experimental avant-garde, like would have been a like darling of like, like super the, artistic people. Like the downtown like, theater scene. Yeah, exactly. But it was a musical adaptation of a movie. So that that ruins that part yeah. of the audience. It was it like, was kind of more based on the book than the movie, but most people right. when they think of American Psycho, they think about the movie, think not the book. The movie. And and the book is oh, there's an episode of uh What's the Difference by Cinefix about the differences between the movie and the book of American mm -hmm. Psycho. It's a great video. Go watch it. 
uh but finish this episode of the podcast first um <laughs> but you you do you kind of lose the the downtown theater audience when you do an adaptation because they want to see original work so it was just like kind of on everybody's bad side which which sucks because yeah. it was except for I, mine it was a really cool show <laughs> Again, I yeah, loved Adam it. is the is the center of the three circle Venn yeah. diagram because we are both artsy downtown theater. Yeah, we exactly. From, from this that. is a good show for me. Um, and yeah. finally, I'd like to talk about a couple of uh, fun oh, examples God. of musicals that I found. Um, the first that I will mention is the uh, the Evil Dead musical, which yeah. yes, there is an Evil Dead musical. Uh, it was first performed in Canada in two thousand three, and it was a absolute smash hit on the off-broadway off-broadway and tour scene uh as it debuted uh it first appeared off-broadway in 2006 and people were seriously nutso for this evil dead uh musical now let me say this this is not like a straightforward adaption like american psycho is it is a comedy musical yeah I like this. I'm into this. Yeah, it's a comedy musical. It, it smooshes together the plot of all the Evil Dead musicals. It's a total parody. It's absolutely ridiculous. Meant to be taken as a joke. Extremely bloody. Extremely violent. Um, takes all the best scenes from the movie. Takes some really uh, innovative stagecraft, especially the scene where like Ash is going crazy and like the taxidermy deer is laughing at him. There's all these cool puppets, oh, yeah. animatronics. Um, and he hacks his own arm off and stuff. It's great, but then it's also all like played for last because I think with a movie like Evil Dead, you can't make it a musical without like they didn't even right. try to go like, oh, well, like kind of play it seriously. They went full comedy. There's that scene where the 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 like the reanimated dead are with him and he starts singing and the reanimated dead become his like backup dancers. Like, yeah, it's it, great. This, this musical kind of shows you that there's only really like two ways to do horror musicals either you fully make it camp parody comedy mm-hmm. or you go fully you like try to be american psycho and you like go experimental and creepy and those are the two ways to do it like really well yeah and they both work and then there's the middle ground which is like beetlejuice um That's so it. right now evil dead is playing as the ultimate 4d experiment uh 4d experience in vegas oh my god uh, like shrek has, yes like shrek it's been there since 2012 uh, making it the longest pr- running production of this musical ever uh, of any show. <laughs> it, Phantom. it includes a 100 seat splatter zone in the, the, like the closest part of the stage, part of the theater where they tell people, like if you're sitting in the splatter zone, you should wear ponchos or things that they don't mind getting yes. ruined because like there are, Shamu. it's not even like I watched videos. It's not even like, Oh, like some of the stuff from the stage may st- fly out onto you there are like cannons set up to purposefully <laughs> specifically splatter the splatter zone they yeah. have they have pimply 17 year old interns come out with buckets of fake blood it's and they splash crazy. it across the front it's, row there's audience interaction there's multimedia elements tons of other special effects if i got to if you said you can work in theater for the rest of your life but it's in the evil dead musical i would be so cool with that i would do yeah, this show every night for years there's so much there i mean as much as the american theater community especially our part of it this like pretty dang artistic part of it hates what vegas does with theater that is great i love themed entertainment and like schlocky theme park 
yeah for let's entertainment just stuff i forever. love that stuff and like do i think it's the be all end all of what theater can be no but i no. love it um and another thing i want to mention in that vein is the reanim the lesser known reanimator musical i included this mostly because oh, reanimator gosh. is one of my favorite horror movies uh, it's in a very similar vein to evil dead and it even also includes a splatter zone uh, ah. It was it first premiered in L.A. and then played the uh, New York Musical Theater Festival in 2012, followed by the Edinburgh Fringe Festival that same year. Um, and it includes a lot of the same elements that the Evil Dead one, too, does, which is just completely ridiculous parody, especially if you've seen Reanimator, you know, the arguably the most famous scene in the movies when he attacks Dr. Hill and hacks his head off and then puts his head in the box and then reanimates him. They do that whole scene with like obviously funny effects where he like knocks him over and then he like takes the fake head puts it in like covers it up and then when he steps to the side it's like the actor's head in the box like it's really fun good yeah and these musicals really remind me of and this is going to be a a deep dive of of star kid musicals Uh. like because that's what star kid does as like a theater company they take uh things like aladdin or harry potter or um starship troopers and takes those elements from it and just makes something completely ridiculous and funny yeah. out of it while still paying homage to like what it's originally based on. Yeah, these musicals are like a tool. Yeah. These yeah. musicals are like star kid versions of these so uh, movies. And there's a lot of other horror theater that I didn't mention because we'd be here forever, but stuff like Carrie, which is another straightforward yeah. adaption of a uh, horror movie into a musical. Yeah. Heather's. That, yeah heathers as well um repo the genetic opera which i didn't include because it's primarily a movie i don't know if there are really any live productions of repo but there should be because it's great um bat boy again based on a horror property jekyll and hyde which is in a similar uh vein to like sweeney todd right not quite as gruesome but definitely a similar show and i also included dance of the vampires um Completely ignoring the fact that Dance of the Vampires is a horrendous musical. Um, oh, yeah. But, but if you have if you have five minutes, go on YouTube and look up uh, uh, Manny Gonzalez singing Total Eclipse of the Heart in Dance of the Vampires. Yeah. Real good. She's great. That's the best part. Everything else is uh, a jukebox on fire. horror musical is like the scariest. I think that's it, the only I don't know too much about Dance of the Vampires, but I think that's the only jukebox song in it. Like, I think they wrote the rest of the show and then just included Total Eclipse of the Heart and Vampires. Yeah, it's literally I mean, Total Eclipse of the Heart to be it's clear, about it's vampires. A, no, no, but it's not. If you're going to make it a musical, what it would have to be is you have heart vampires eclipse werewolves and so now you have vampires and werewolves you make it a twilight adaptation maybe you make it a uh what we do in the shadows adaptation but you have to add a bit more than just vampires that's that's very true i would love to see what we do in the shadows like like evil dead style what we do in the shadows musical yeah that'd be very good um so what did we learn today uh we learned that uh sweeney todd is a good guy but johnny depp is a bad guy uh, we learned I that. feel neither north nor south on Johnny Depp. I'd like to make my stance clear. Wow. We might need to have a talk after the <laughs> podcast. Uh, we learned that uh, stagecraft is uh, the best part of theater and we need to appreciate our our tech people more, uh, which we have to learn every day. Uh, and we also learned that if you sit in the splatter zone, you have to wear a poncho. Yeah, and I learned that 
once we can do live theater again, I'm going to Vegas and I'm going to the Evil Dead musical. The Evil Dead. Uh, that's very good. Well, that's going to do it for us here on episode 21, Adam. This episode is old enough to drink. We can drink now. Uh, <laughs> episode 21 of The Great American Scream. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know either through the iTunes review system or sharing it on social media. On Spotify, there's a very easy little copy episode link button. And if you really enjoyed and you want to help this show grow as we do, you can tell a person who you like who likes getting spooked and likes talking about getting spooked about the podcast. Word of mouth is the best form of advertisement. Adam, can you pimp our social medias, please? Yes, you can check us out on Twitter at Great Scream Pod or on Facebook at The Great American Scream. Uh, if there is something you would like to hear us talk about on the show or if you have recommendations for other horror musicals, uh, you can tweet at us or post using the hashtag TGAS. Yes, and a special thank you goes out to Michael Segudo, who does the podcast intro, and Stevie Viola, who does the intro and outro music. You can find him on Twitter and YouTube. Adam. I believe that's it for us. I've been Devin Wright. I've been Adam O'Connell. And hopefully you have been spooked. <laughs> da, 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 ba, da, ba. Just I do it safely. Dance. I know. Yeah, do it safely. <laughs>